So have you ever wondered who's richer, Bruce Wayne or Tony Stark? All right, so do you know who Tony Stark is? Um, Bruce Wayne you've probably heard of. Uh, all right, I'll show you a picture. Here, here they are. Um, Tony Stark is the guy up in the corner there, and uh, Bruce Wayne's the guy down in the corner. Uh, Bruce Wayne is, of course, Batman. Tony Stark is, of course, Iron Man. And if you're thinking, oh, God, not another comic book sermon. No, this this is not a comic book sermon. Now, if it were a comic book sermon, here's what I would say. Um, I would say that, of course, Batman is richer. We all know this. But but actually, it turns out there's there's some debate on this. And um, and if you're... Oh, no. Where's my magazine? I have a prop. Oh, no, it's gone. What did I do with it? Oh, no. Oh, well... Um, it's it's around. Uh, so it turns out that there's help. You know, we we have we have questions like this. You know, the, the the Guinness Book of World Records was was designed to help people sort these things out. Who's the fastest? Who's the richest? Who's you know eating the most ice cream or whatever it is? Um, and and uh, Forbes magazine has come to the rescue to help us answer the question about Tony Stark and and um, Bruce Wayne. They've recently published a list, not of the 400 richest people in the world, which they do every year. They they have a list of the richest people. Uh, they've come up with a list of the richest fictional characters. And so if you start thinking, you know, who would that include, you know? So it's kind of a fun challenge. Who who in fiction is is richest? So it's not enough just to worry about the real millionaires. They even give you the fictional millionaires. And I, I have the magazine somewhere, and um, that'll show me. Uh, so anyway, wherever it is, uh, it's got the answer, and um, it's also got the list of who the other uh, 13 richest uh, fictional characters are. And and the reason I mention this is because uh, comic books, as you might have picked up on, or, or mag- uh, movies based on comic books, that's kind of part of my currency. That's that's kind of a place that I connect with the world. And maybe you don't. You say, you know, I could not care less about Batman or whatever. That's fine. Uh, my guess is that there's a part of your life where you are very much interested in comparisons. I mean, if you follow sports... What do they do in every game, right? They tell you who is the most valuable player. And then they do it for the season. Okay, they do it all over the place. In every sport they do, they calculate the the best and the fastest and the slowest and and everything else. They keep amazing sets of records. Last week we talked about who was the highest paid player in uh, Major League Baseball. And this week we would have a different answer because... uh, because um, last week's highest paid player is not this week's highest paid player. So um, so we compare these things. And, and it's not just out there, you know, talking about people in the news or people in fiction. It's in our lives, right? We compare at work. We want to know um, who's got the better office and why. What does that, what does that mean that, that they got a better office than that person? You know, what, you know we, we read tea leaves. We try to figure out what's going on. We try to... Try to um, Analyze the the relationships in, in our in our companies based on based on who's got the best office or or maybe um, maybe we're not in the kind of uh, job where we think about the quality of the office because we're all in cubes or something and we worry about who's got the red stapler and who's got the black stapler so so whatever it is uh, the, the the different symbols we look at you know we, we want to know who's got the biggest salary who's got the reserved parking spot. Uh, maybe some of you remember the days of the of the executive washroom, the key to the executive washroom. So, um, you know, the madman era. Um, uh, there are things we look at as we compare who's who and how do they rate one uh, to the other. And and it's not just at work; it's it's in our neighborhoods. You know, we 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 think to ourselves, who's got the better house, who's got the better lawn, 
who's got the better car parked in front of their better lawn. We, we, we think about things in terms of uh, this natural ranking kind of comes to us. Uh, we think about it at home. We think about it at school. Who's got, who's got better grades at school? Who's got more friends at school? We think about comparisons. We, we see life through the grid of comparisons. And it spills over into the church. And, and um, uh, one of the reasons is, of course, we're insecure, right? We, we say to ourselves, I hope God grades on a curve, right? Because I know I'm not a very good Christian, but at least I'm better than the pastor, okay? So whatever it is, we say, um, we say I'm better than him. I'm better than that person. I'm better than her uh, because of our insecurity. We, we know we're not what we should be, and so we're insecure, and so we think that way. That's one of the reasons. But I think a lot of it is just that's the vocabulary we use as people. We, we compare things. And so we say to ourselves, I'm trying to figure out the pecking order at church. I'm trying to figure out who's who. Uh, who do I go to if I want to, to have something done? How do I go about arranging something in the church? And so we, we look for a pecking order. We try to figure out who's been here the longest or, or who contributes the most money or who volunteers the most or, or who's got the best behaved children or whatever, whatever criteria we're thinking about, we compare. We say, who's better than who? And if you've ever done that, either in church or out in the world, then there's good news because the answer to the question, whether it's who's the better Christian or who does my boss like best, is, is answered in our reading today. And the reason is that, is that people in the Bible were just like us. They asked the same sort of questions. Um, in, in our reading today, we're going to see the question, um, of, of who is, who is the best Christian. But it helps us to answer all of the categories of questions. I mean, in a church, we don't typically say who's the best, right? We, we know that there's not supposed to be a best. So we, we wind up in the position, you know, you go to your mom and you say, mom, me and my brother have both done this thing. Who's best? And, and mom says, I think they're both very nice. And so we kind of accept that, okay, in a church, we're all supposed to be very nice. And so instead we say, we say, okay, well, who's the first among equals? Who's the first among equals, Mom? Because we know we're not supposed to be best. So we ask that sort of question, and they ask that sort of question back in uh, Bible times too. So we're going to look at this passage um, where uh, Paul tells us how to answer that question, how to answer the question, who's the best Christians? Now, if you remember um, the last couple of weeks, uh, Paul has been talking about uh, spiritual gifts in the church, the the, the broad category that we're talking about is the giftedness of, of believers uh, in Jesus. And what we saw a couple of weeks ago is we saw that everybody who follows Jesus uh, receives a superpower, and that's the comic book sermon, and you can listen online. Um, but we receive a superpower, a spiritual gift, that we can use uh, for the betterment of the community. So we talked about superpowers, and then last week we saw that all those are different. People have different gifts. So there are teachers and there are healers, there's administrators, there's helpers, uh, there's prophets, there's people who speak in tongues. There's all these different sorts of gifts in the church. So the nature of the power is different. But everybody gets one. So that's what we've been up to so far. And as as uh, Paul talked about that, the, the reason he did so is because people in the church in Corinth had witnessed these things. They'd seen people who were given supernatural gifts uh, when Paul was there and after he left. And they, they wanted to rank them. 
They wanted to know, well, which one's best? Is, is, is prophecy best? Is speaking in tongues best? Who is the best Christian? Or maybe who is first among equals? So they sent a letter to Paul. Paul, help us figure this all out. We want to understand how this works. And so Paul answers this question. He says, he says, it's true there are, there is a ranking among gifts. And we looked at that last week. Uh, at the very end of chapter 12, he says, he says, strive for the greater gifts. There, there is a ranking among the gifts. But as for comparing people who have those gifts, he says, here's a more excellent way. He says, I will show you a still more excellent way. So now he's going to talk about people who have the gifts. So we pick it up in chapter 13, verse 1. He says, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, he says, Let's suppose you do have a gift. You've got a gift. You, you speak in tongues. Not just a little bit, not just occasionally, not just once in a blue moon, but you are fluent in the tongues, not just of people, but of angels. You have a great giftedness in the area of tongues. Let's suppose that. He says, if you've got that gift and you do not have love, then you might as well be a pagan. We've seen the way that the, the church in Corinth was was drawn mostly from former pagans, and Paul uses their, their language often when he talks to them. He says, he says, the symbols and gongs that pagans use in their worship service, they don't signify anything. He's talked about how uh, worship to idols is meaningless. So he says, he says, it doesn't matter what your giftedness is. If you don't have love, it's no better than the pagans use in their worship service. You're like a clinging gong or a symbol. So he says, okay, how about if you've got prophetic powers? And not just, you know, I had this one inkling once that I don't know where that came from. But he says, I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And and if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, I can actually do what Jesus said we could do, right? If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to the mountain, go into the sea and it would obey. He says, if you've got that kind of faith, you've got a full mustard seed worth of faith, right? If you've got that much faith, you're you're a top gifted person when it comes to faith or knowledge or prophecy and you don't have love i'm nothing okay what if you're generous what if you give away all your possessions not just five bucks to somebody who needs it not just a loan to your brother-in-law you give away all your possessions you you give up your body maybe paul's thinking about somebody who who enters into a, a um uh, uh, indentured service or something like that. He said, whatever it is, because, because of the need is so great. He says, he says, even if you're that generous, you are superlatively generous. And you do not have love, you gain nothing. And then he answers the question on their lips. Well, what do you mean when you say love, Paul? Right? We were talking about prophecy. We were talking about speaking in tongues. And now you're bringing up love. What do you mean by love, Paul? And so Paul answers, love is patient, love is kind. These familiar words, we've heard them all at a, at a hundred weddings. Um, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Paul explains what he means by love, and we'll come back to this. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And he anticipates their next question. He says, well, then what's the point? If love is all that matters, what's the point of these spiritual gifts? 
And Paul answers that question. He says, see, love never ends. These spiritual gifts are important. They're superpowers to be used for building up the community. But they're temporary. They're not eternal. So he explains, prophecies will come to an end. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will come to an end. For we know now only in part, and we prophesy only in part. What Paul's going to explain here is that our life now is different from our life in the age to come. When we are with Jesus in eternity, things will be different. We won't need the gifts that we have now. So he says, when I was a child, the partial, uh, sorry, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. There are things that used to be important to me as a child that are no longer important. He says, these spiritual gifts are the same way. He says, now we see in a mirror. Now we need the gift of prophecy. Now we need the gift of tongues because otherwise we wouldn't understand what it is that God wants for us. But he says, that's not going to last. Now I know only in part, but then I will know fully. I will be able to walk up to Jesus and say hi. I will be able to see Jesus face to face when I'm with him in eternity. He says, I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. So only three spiritual gifts are eternal. Faith, hope, and love. He says, faith, hope, and love abide. What does he mean by faith? Faith is simply trusting that God is who God claims to be. That the revelation we have of God in Jesus Christ as he's witnessed in Scripture, as Scripture bears witness to him, is accurate. That there's not like a secret hidden God somewhere else and and you believe in this one, but later on you're going to get a second revelation, you're going to find out something new. That that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That That there is only one God and that he has accurately revealed himself in Jesus Christ. That's faith. Hope is trusting that God will do what he's promised to do. That, 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 that God has the willingness and the ability to keep his promises. He says, those will be less important in eternity too because so much of it will have already been accomplished. So he says, he says, faith and hope are rooted in love. Remember what he said up in the poem. He said, faith be- believes all things. Uh, ho- love believes all things. Love is where faith comes from. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love is where hope comes from. So these three things abide. Faith, hope, and love. But faith and hope are rooted in the love of the heart of God. So love turns out to be the first among equals. So what do we do with this? Who is the best Christian? Who is the first among equals? Paul would say, If you're talking about people, that's the wrong question. You can talk about higher gifts and lesser gifts. But he says if you're talking about people, that's the wrong question because it's an unloving question. He says, he says what we should do is we should strive for the greater gifts. We should be as good as we can be at whatever gifts we have. And we should wish the same for everyone else. Love is non-competitive. He says love hopes all things. You know, that person I'm not seeing it. I know Jesus loves them, but I'm not seeing it. Instead of instead of saying, good, I'm better than them, Paul says, hope the best for them. So, 
What's the application? Well, the application is very simple. Just be that person. Just do the things that Paul says. Be kind. Uh, And I know you are some of the time, right? Like me. I'm kind some of the time. When it's convenient or when I feel like it or if it's somebody I really like, I'm kind. Paul says, no, be kind. Love is kind. He says, he says, love is patient. Love is not envious. Be that person. Be that person 24-7. And what we say today, because we've been indoctrinated by our culture, we think love is a feeling, right? Right? Well, I know there's the song, more than a feeling, right? But we know what that song's about. Um, love is not a feeling. For Paul, love is an action. Paul says, it doesn't matter how you feel. Love anyway. So go ahead and be kind, even if you're not feeling it. Go ahead. Don't be irritable. Don't be resentful. I mean, this is a huge challenge for us. Paul says, you're not always going to feel like that, but do it anyway. Do it anyway and let the feeling catch up. Because love is patient, and eventually it will. So do that. Do that at home. Do that in your personal relationships. Be that person. Be that loving person. And then spread out. Do it in your neighborhood. Do it at school. Do it at work. Be that loving person. And then bring it to church. Because that's where the question began. The church asked Paul, who's the best Christian? And Paul said, wrong question. He said, you can ask what's the best gift, but you can't ask who's the best Christian. So bring that same loving attitude to church. Serve in the church. Volunteer in the church. But don't be irritable about it. Uh, uh, when, when you serve in the church and you see other people aren't, don't, don't, don't boast about how much more you do. When you see people contribute in the church and you're envious and you say, well, I, could, I would have if I had what they had, don't be envious. Come to the church and love the way you do out in the world where you spend most of your time and in your relationships. That's the picture that Paul paints of a loving church. It's the church that Paul has in mind, and I believe it's the church Jesus has in mind. Let's be that church. Let's pray. Loving God, we don't always love. We often compare. Help us to wish the best for ourselves and to wish the best for those around us. Here at the church, in our homes, in our workplaces, in school, every place we are, Lord, help us to be the kind of person that Paul paints in this beautiful picture. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.